Welcome to the Holy Cross Sermon Podcast. This whole year we're exploring the life and teachings of Jesus in the book of Luke. We're in a series called Kingdom Life. We are looking at how Jesus taught believers to live. Join us now as we dive into another passage. So fill us with your spirit. So fill us with the good deposit of the gospel, the good news this morning, that you would enable us to uh, share, to steward that good news so that the world might know you. Come, Lord Jesus, give us your Holy Spirit today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again. Welcome. My name's Trevor. I'm glad that you're here and we're able to worship the Lord together. If you're visiting, as you've noticed, everything is on the screens to your left and your right. And we begin our worship this morning with these opening sentences. Blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Blessed be his kingdom now and forever. Amen. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear what the Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Keep, O Lord, your household, the church, in continual godliness, that through your protection it may be free from all adversities and devoutly serve you in good works to the glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Would you please be seated for the reading of our lesson? A reading from the book of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is the word of the Lord. Would you stand with me for the reading of the gospel? The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. As they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. 
When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know that they had gained what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you will have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, You are to be over five cities. And then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not possess, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put money in the bank? And at my coming I might have collected it with interest." And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And But from, one, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, those who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. The Gospel of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit to hear your word today, to apply it to our lives, and to be able to live it out in our week to week, our day to day, our week to week. Lord, would you come and help us to understand and encounter your living word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. So in the beginning, way back... Before anything was created, God created a dog. Yep, and he said to the dog, sit all day by the front door of your house and bark at anyone who comes in or walks by. For this I will give you the lifespan of 20 years. The dog looked at God and said, you know what, 20 years is a long time to bark at people. How about 10 years and I'll give you the other 10 back? So God agreed. Then God created a monkey, and he said, Entertain people, do tricks, and make them laugh. For this, I will give you a 20-year lifespan. And the monkey looked at God and said, Monkey tricks for 20 years? That's a pretty long time to perform. How about I give you 10 back like the dog did? And God said, Okay. Then God created a cow. And he said, Go into the field with the farmer all day long and suffer under the hot sun. Have calves, give the milk for the support of the farmer's family. For this, I will give you a lifespan of 60 years. And the cow said, that's kind of a tough life you want me to live for 60 years. How about 20 and I'll give you 40 back? And God agreed. And then finally, God created man and said to the man, eat, sleep, play, marry, enjoy your life. For this, I'll give you a lifespan of 20 years. 20 years, said the man. Could you possibly give me my 20? And the 40 you gave the cow, and the 10 the monkey gave you back, and the 10 the dog gave you back? That makes 80, okay? Okay, God said, you asked for it. So friends, this explains why for the first 20 years of our life, we eat, sleep, play, and enjoy ourselves. 
For the next 40, we toil in the hot sun to support our family. For the next 10, we do monkey tricks in entertaining our grandchildren. And for the last 10, we stand by the door barking at everybody. Life has now been explained to you. You're welcome. Let's pray. (laughs) Okay, honestly, many of us are still trying to figure out what life is all about. We're trying to figure life out. Whether you're young and enjoying life, or you're in the throes of establishing a career, or you're exhausted chasing children, or you're enjoying retirement... Regardless of your life phase, we often come back to this fundamental question. What on earth am I doing here? And somewhere, either expressly or intuitively, we know that the rules for living that the world gives us are unacceptable and largely unfulfilling. You know, if life is only about making more money and buying more stuff, then we're never going to have enough to be satisfied. There's always something new coming out, and it always costs $1,000, iPhones. Um, There's always something more we want to have. If your life is about having a family, a perfect family, then what happens when you don't get married, or you get divorced, or you don't have kids, or even what happens when the kids move out, and in natural ways, in some natural ways, they move on? And if life is about having the perfect grades or the perfect college transcript, then there's always someone who's read one more book or took one more AP class or, frankly, has more money to pay for the better school's tuition. Worldly measures never end. They can never be perfected. And where there's no end... In the words, the immortal words of Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, you can't get no satisfaction. But this morning, today in our scripture, Jesus tells us a parable that teaches us how we actually find true satisfaction in life. How we have a fulfilling life day in and day out throughout every stage of our life. Your satisfaction is found in stewardship. Your satisfaction is found in uh, putting to work what God has given you. That's the key to life. So Jesus, he is on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross, and he's surrounded by those people who are actually interested in some version of this very question. They have an expectation as Jewish people that the kingdom of God will come. And they've been following Jesus closely enough, either as his disciples or as interested parties. They followed him long enough that they think that the kingdom of God is going to begin in just 17 miles. After all, he's been healing the sick. He's resurrected the dead. And above all, he is proclaiming forgiveness of sin. Now, just two verses earlier, he told Zacchaeus, the tax collector, today salvation has come to your house. Things are happening. They have expectations. And then just 17 miles away from there, 
Just 17 miles, there's Jerusalem. It's the capital of Israel. It's where the king lives, or the king should live. And Jesus is on his way there, and they're wondering to themselves, will he be the one? He knows this is what they hope for. And so Jesus tells them this parable that does two things. The first is the first thing it does is it tells them that while he will be the king, it will not be immediate. And second, he tells them what to do while he is gone away. They are to be stewards of his kingdom. Satisfaction is found in stewardship. The parable starts with a nobleman who goes off to a far-off land to be made a king and will return. The nobleman represents Jesus in this parable. And we know that in the life of Jesus, after his death and resurrection, we know that in Acts chapter 1, he ascends to the clouds to the right hand of God where he sits in the throne room and he's interceding for us where he has gone to prepare a place for us and he has promised to return so that he can take us where he is. That's John chapter 14. Jesus is in fact the king. He's actively bringing the kingdom for all those reasons we just looked at. Uh, Yet, here we learn that we are going to have to wait for the kingdom to be finally consummated, for the kingdom to be perfected. The kingdom is now and not yet. We all know this intuitively as we feel that if you're in Christ, you know that you, you, you feel the forgiveness of sin, the relief, you, you have a happiness and a life to you, but yet things in this world are still very much wrong, right? We just look at the newspaper, we look at the coronavirus, we look at our sick friends and our families, and we know that something's not quite right. And so if the kingdom of God is real, if, it, if it's really bringing salvation, really bringing life, then, and it's doing that today in some ways... We also know that it's not yet completed. We know this intuitively. We learn two other things about Jesus' kingdom in this passage, and I'm just going to say these quickly. Uh, They warrant sermons in and of themselves, but we don't have time for that today. First, there are those in the kingdom, in God's kingdom, in the nobleman's kingdom, who oppose his rule and are willing to voice it. And the second thing we learn is that at the very end in verse 27, that there will be those who reject him outright as king, that those people are going to face very serious judgment. In fact, the nobleman says, bring them before me and have them killed. The kingdom involves judgment. So the first thing Jesus' audience is told is that, yes, he's going to be king, but that they will have to wait for his kingdom to be completed. It reminds me of a childhood as you're riding up I-95. You've ever done the whole length of I-95 in South Carolina. You're going north. You're just above, uh, you're just above Savannah, and you see this, the great and glorious sign, right? You're always a wiener at Pedro's, yeah? And all of a sudden, you get excited for the great sombrero in the sky, and then down in the bottom right-hand corner, it says 191 miles, <laughs> Right? It's still a ways off. You're going to need a Snickers, right? Um, The kingdom, friends, is a ways off. And you're going to need something to sustain you, to occupy you, to keep your mind on the king while while you await his return. And here's what Jesus gives us. 
He gives us that very thing. Having told them that they're going to wait for the kingdom, the second thing Jesus does is to tell them what to do. Now, this is seriously important for you and for me because I don't want to be Captain Obvious here, but it does warrant a mention. This is where you and I, we live. We live in between Jesus' ascension and his return. So his instructions for the disciples, his instructions for his audience are his instructions for you. Before he ascends, Jesus gives his disciples three things. The first thing he gives them is a resource. The second thing he gives them is a responsibility. And the third thing he gives them is a promise of reward. Resource, responsibility, reward. Verse 13. Calling ten of his servants, the noblemen, remember that's Jesus, gives them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. The nobleman leaves his servants with a deposit. It doesn't really matter how much money the nobleman leaves because it's just representative. The point is this. Jesus gives each of his followers then and now the very same resource. The mina represents the gospel. And that's our first point. Each and every Christian has the gospel. It's the good deposit that Paul tells Timothy to guard in his letter. Jesus gives the good news equally to everyone. To you, to me. He's given us the knowledge that he's come into the world to save sinners. Now, I know that you've heard this knowledge. And most of you, I know, have responded with true and genuine faith. You can today if you haven't. But you know the knowledge. You've responded in faith. You are saved and you have received eternal life. It is secure in Christ. If you are a Christian today, you have the very resource that gives life. Regardless of your place or phase in life, if you believe it, you have it. That means it's that way if you are five or 18, whether you're 30, whether you're 60, whether you're 80. If you are in Christ, He's given you the resource. Don't miss this point, friends. Because many Christians walk around wondering if they actually have what it takes. And in this parable, Jesus is making this point really clear. Yes, you have what it takes. God is not holding out on you. He has given you everything necessary to live life satisfyingly. Living it with satisfaction. And just notice it, it's ten servants, right? That's representative of all his servants. Ten minas, each gets the very same, and so it is with us. Whether it's Chris or me, whether it's Jay, whether it's Dean or Kathy, we've all been given the same good deposit of the gospel. The second thing the nobleman leaves is, and Jesus gives us, is responsibility. So he gave us a resource, the mina, which is the gospel, and now he has given us a responsibility. Here Jesus answers the question, what on earth are you here for? So he calls his ten servants, again this is verse 13, and the nobleman gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. 
We are to engage in business, not just any business. He's referring to the business of establishing his kingdom. While he's gone, he wants you to use his resources in order to establish his kingdom so that when he returns, the kingdom is already still going. It's going and it's growing and it's changing. You just have to look at the church. The church, the early church, they did exactly this. So much so that 2,000 years later, guess who's believed? All of us. Engage in business. The nobleman's servants are to begin to establish his kingdom until he returns, because he will return. And while we do this, we're going to, have the, we're going to do this in the face of opposition, those citizens who oppose the king, those citizens who make the call us silly or foolish or dumb. Theologian Ken Bailey summarizes what the nobleman, what Jesus is asking. He says, are you willing to take the risk and openly declare yourselves to be Jesus' loyal servant during his absence from the world where many oppose him and his rule? That stewardship, openly, openly declaring in your words and in your actions and by your life, that you're Jesus' loyal servant, that you're his disciple. And when you do this, here's the promise. You will find satisfaction in life. Proverbs puts it this way this morning, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. If you will take the risk for Jesus, he will make your paths perfect. What an incredible promise. He's going to do the work, and you can find satisfaction in that. So what does this look like practically? Uh, Many of you uh, perhaps are aware that we started Alpha, a course, an Alpha course on Mondays and a couple other places during the week, and any number of you have been inviting your friends, your neighbors, your family members to come in hopes that they will be introduced to Jesus. This is a way in which these folks, we have openly declared ourselves Jesus' disciple. It risks a little bit of rejection. Somebody might go, no, I'm not into that. No, you're kind of silly. I'm not going to do that. Um, They've been, but these folks, the folks who have been doing the inviting, they've been putting that one mind and they've been putting the gospel to work. And people are responding. Some have multiple people attending. I mean, there's one person who has like their entire family showing up. Other people have had one or two or uh, other people are just planting a seed. But here's the thing. Here's what's interesting. Regardless of what happens, the results really don't matter. Not to Jesus, not to the king in this parable, Because the parable shows that Jesus rewards faithfulness and not success. Faithfulness is doing what he asked us to do, not necessarily doing it to this degree or that degree. Why? How do I know this? It's because Jesus rewards two people, 
The rewards may be different, but he's very happy with both the first and the second servant, right? The first one comes and shows what he asked for, right? Uh, he, this nobleman did return and called his servants that he might know what they had gained by doing business. One day Jesus will return and ask, what have you done with the gospel? What have you done? And the first servant comes up and goes, I have returned 1,000%. Remember, this is about the gospel work, not necessarily about money, but the parable is meant to be an analogy, right? He goes, I've returned 1,000%. And the king goes, well, well done, good servant. Here, I'm going to reward you. Now, this may or not, may not be exciting to you. The reward of good work and faithful work in the kingdom is what? More work, right? <laughs> he says, look, you've been faithful in a little, this one mina you've been faithful in, I'm going to give you oversight of 10 whole cities. Actually, I should be behind the plastic, sorry. Um, he, he, he tells you to be in, uh, he gives you a greater responsibility. The other guy returns five and, and he goes, oh great, I'm going to make you uh, uh, over five cities. But it's the third one that's the key to understanding that it's about faithfulness, not about uh, success. The third one comes, right? The third one comes and he receives a negative reward because he did nothing with his mina. It wasn't about the amount of the return, which was zero. It was the, the fact that he hid the mina in a napkin, in a handkerchief. He hid it away. He didn't put it to work. He was ultimately conservative in his investing, which is an understatement because he did nothing with it. He was conservative either because he uh, thought the king was severe and there should be, for should be feared, or he saw him as unreliable and doubted that he would ever return. Why should he risk anything if the king isn't going to return, especially when the world is hostile? Friends, why should you risk anything if Jesus isn't going to return? But he is. He promises he is. And we can know this because he is reliable. If you would just read your Bible, right? Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies given over hundreds of years in the Old Testament. Jesus, throughout the four gospel books, says, that, says what's going to happen, and then he goes on and fulfills it. What he says comes true. He predicts his rejection, his crucifixion. He predicts his resurrection. All of those were reliable prophecies and came true. And friends, if all of those other things are true, if the miracles are true, if the resurrection is true, then certainly he must be reliable to complete his second coming, his return, and to give you finally and completely the eternal life he's promised. He will do it. Friends, what if life is explained in this parable? There's a king. His name is Jesus. He wants you to serve his kingdom until his return. Think how this answers the question, what on earth are you here for? It might actually redeem the 50 or so hours a week that you're working or the 50 or so hours a week that you're at school and studying. It gives actual purpose to the money that you have. It adds value to the time uh, that you're sitting on your front porch engaging others in your world. Friends, if satisfaction is life in life is found in stewardship, putting to work the good news, the gospel of Jesus, wouldn't you want to do more? 
Why doesn't, who doesn't want a more satisfying life? Friends, you've been, we've all been given basically three things that we can put to work in the world. They are our time, they're our talent, and they're our treasure, right? Many of you are using your time as you await Jesus' return. Uh, Some of you are middle school life group leaders. Some of you visit your lonely neighbors. Some of you tutor at schools. Some of you are serving here to enable worship happen each week. Many of you are using your time. And many of you are using your talents to establish God's kingdom. I remember my grandfather uh, used his talents as an accountant to do the taxes of missionaries and the elderly in his church. Every year, he had file cabinets full of their tax returns. We had to shred them. We went through one shredder after another until they, we were done. Seven shredders later. He used his talents to bring the kingdom, to make the kingdom go forward. It made the missionaries able to go do the thing that they were called to do, Right? Some of you use your talents here for uh, cooking for bridge church or church functions or for the sick and the infirmed. Each of you has given, been given specific talents that could be used to bless others and to establish Jesus' kingdom. And finally, you all have money. It's your treasure. Some of you have more. Some of you have less. It all is a gift from God. Regardless of how much you have, friends, there is no easier way to put the gospel to work in your life than through your money. No easier way. You can give it to the church, which helps all of this happen, helps life group, youth ministry, mission, caring for the poor. You can give it to missionaries who are in far-off places, and you can give it to agencies and people who do good work, like Echo and, and other places that are serving the needs of people. I think it's interesting that Charles Spurgeon said 150 years ago something that's still true. He said, with some Christians, the last part of their nature that ever gets sanctified, that ever gets transformed, is their wallet. The last thing. And I think it's interesting. It's true, but I think it's interesting for this reason. Because my wallet, what's in it and what's not in it and where it goes, this is the easiest thing to quantify. Why? Because I know exactly how much money I have at the beginning of the month. And I know exactly how much I give to the church, or Rachel and I give to the church. We do this together. We know how much we give to missionaries. We know how much we give to uh, the special needs that, that come up. We can see the gospel literally going forth through what we give. So while it is usually the last one to be transformed, it's the easiest one for you to quantify. You can know that you're putting the gospel to work in your life when you look at what you give. Some of you already know the joy of that. Why I know this? Because you're generous people. I just know. I mean, I don't know what you give. I just know that uh, the people of Holy Cross are very generous givers. And you're already doing it. You know what it's like to be faithful and generous. And some of you have this joy in front of you. It's your future. You want to find satisfaction. You want to know what this purpose in life is. And you can have it. You can have it today. You know, we're in this season of planning our ministry, what God wants us to do as a church in 2021. 
you have a chance to fill out either digitally or a paper copy from the tent, a personal giving plan, what you plan to give to the Lord's work, a way in which you can uh, say with your money, I'm taking a risk for you, Jesus, and I'm declaring myself to be your loyal servant. Even though the world may oppose me, even though the world may say that's a ridiculous thing to use your money for, even if the world considers it foolish, you have this opportunity. And my wonder this morning, will you take it? Will you find true satisfaction in life by putting the gospel to work in your life through stewardship? Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world to save us. We pray that you will give us your Holy Spirit. And help us day by day, year by year, to more faithfully put the gospel to work through our lives. Lord, we long to hear you say, well done, good servant. And we pray today that you would not only show us how to use the time you've given us, how to use the talents you've given us, but how to use the money you've given us to establish your kingdom. And we pray that you would enable us to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.